This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. One-third of every home in Detroit has been tax-foreclosed since 2008. You heard that number right. A third of every all the homes in the city. It's one of the biggest housing crises in any American ex- city and that any city has experienced. And yet, for most of us, this is not something that we think about all the time, let alone spend time coming up with solutions. Outlier Media, the Detroit News, and Reveal teamed up recently to shed a little more light on this crisis. When they looked into the tax debt owed, what they found was that hundreds of millions of dollars never should have been billed to Detroiters in the first place. My next guest looked at what happens to homeowners when their neighbors' homes get tax foreclosed. Caitlin Allo is a data reporting and news apps director for Outlier Media, and her report is The Lost Homes of Detroit. Uh, that airs on Reveal this afternoon at 2 right here on WDET. Caitlin Allo, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So first, put into perspective for us how big a problem this foreclosure crisis is for the city of Detroit. Oh, um, well, I think... Uh Something that's helpful to understand is that I'm not from Detroit, Mm -hmm. Um, and that means I think uh, in a lot of ways it's important for me to be Mm self-aware as a reporter about Mm -hmm. what I don't know. Mm -hmm. But um, what's helpful is that uh, it's sort of like a a first look. You you get first impressions, right? Um, So um, foreclosure has not been normalized to me. I I really uh, learned what foreclosure was over the course of my reporting yeah right being here in Detroit exactly um and so the the scope of the foreclosure issue uh really can't be understated in Detroit um and that's that's been through interviews um through research through you know just reading about what was happening here in in 2014 2015 um but I I guess the, the thing about widespread foreclosure is that because the scope has been so large, we're still coping with it right mm-hmm. now, right? And because there's sort of this like lag from the time that debt is accrued to the time the property is actually foreclosed and then auctioned off means that something that has been in the rear view for the rest of the United States for a while, yeah. namely the recession um, and the two foreclosure crises, it, it means that we're still coping with it in, in the form of a lot of vacant and blighted property. Yeah. Uh, as somebody who is from here and who is still pretty deeply involved in the neighborhood where I was born, near Livernois and Grand River, uh, I own the house that my family lived in when I was born, and that and that neighborhood I've seen change dramatically over 40 years. But uh, I can say firsthand that the foreclosure crisis, the tax foreclosure crisis, has changed that neighborhood in ways that nothing before it ever did. And mm. it presents problems that we couldn't imagine uh, just 10 or 15 years ago uh, in terms of how you recover from that level of blight and abandonment that's inflicted uh, on a neighborhood as opposed to just kind of happening as as people leave. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting to me about your work is that you're looking specifically at neighbors and the effect that this has on neighbors and neighborhoods, which is exactly the thing that in my neighborhood uh, we are witnessing and trying to deal with all the time. 
Right. I, I mean, so I think when I first uh, joined Outlier uh, at the end of 2018, um, the thing that we were talking about a lot is the land bank, the Detroit Land Bank Authority as a property owner. Um, and the more that I learned about how much they own, the more I realized that they are just about everybody's neighbor. Mm-hmm. And that's that's held true. Um, and this this is what happens to tax foreclosed properties when they go to auction and nobody wants them. Uh, nobody bids uh, or, or uh, bids enough money and they end up just sort of sitting and then they they go to this land bank where they are supposed to be processed and uh, you know repurposed for for people to live in. Correct. I, I- Generally speaking, land banks are supposed to take vacant property, often tax foreclosed property, and return it to what they call productive use. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can take many forms. But uh, the bottom line is that in Detroit, around 90,000 properties, um, including vacant lots, including um, vacant structures, are sitting in land bank inventory. Um, it's an unprecedented amount of real estate for one municipal land bank to, to hold. Um, and this piece is really about what it's like to have to be so proximate to it mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. So, so give us a sense of what that is like, what that looks like for the people who live next door to these properties. Yeah, so that was something that uh, we thought about a, a lot because this is um, this is also airing nationally. And um, like I said, I, I wasn't raised here, and I was thinking a lot about how to, how do you describe what it's like. And and the question that I've gotten from people is, well, once a property is demolished, um, then what? Like, why do people like um, some of our uh, characters in the story, Jackie and Kelly, have been trying to get the house next door torn down for close to a decade? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've been asked is, then what? They have a vacant lot next to them. Why is that preferred over a vacant structure? Um, and that's really what we're trying to impress upon people. Um, the thing that bothered Jackie the most uh, is actually the the roof on the property next door falling into her property. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just that it's generally an eyesore. Um, and what bothered her daughter Kelly is that she feels unsafe, right? There's this structure that has um, had squatters in it before. Um, it it invites, you know, vermin and, and you know, rodents, whatever. Um, but also lead paint, asbestos exposure, and just general... Um, Feeling that your neighborhood is not being invested in because you have to, you have this constant token of it mm-hmm. right next door, yeah. um, a token of of what used to be a home, but is now sort of just a falling apart um, shell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that question about what's better about a vacant lot than a vacant house, I think it's hard for people sometimes to to understand why that's uh, why that's difficult to to sort of say. In other words. Uh, of course, you would want vacant uh, land rather than this this eyesore. But talk about why, for instance, sometimes it's not an improvement or it's not a substantial improvement uh, if you tear the house down and it just sits there fallow. Uh, well, okay, so I think um, you know Detroit um, fifty, sixty years ago housed close to two million people. Um, now that's under seven hundred thousand. Um, so partly I think the city, uh, is struggling to figure out how to keep, maintain an infrastructure that was designed for 
um, far more people, uh, so it's just fewer taxpayers. So it, once a property is torn down, you still have to service, um, you know, the remaining one, two, three, you know, homes that are still occupied on mm-hmm. that block. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what um, uh, Sherry, who's also in our story, was struggling with, the fact that um, her water was disconnected because of a service line break um, that was her responsibility to pay for it because it was underneath her property. But um, sometimes those are replaced and paid for by the city, but only when the entire block is having the line replaced. And, sure. and the issue that she was facing was that that would likely never happen for her because she was one of two people remaining on that block, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's that. Um, there's also the just like public service and, and public safety, right? When everybody is so scattered, even once a property is demolished, it's hard to get them um, those services. It's hard to um, pay to get mail service there. It's also, um, it increases the fire load, right, of the city, which um, I spoke with the uh, Detroit Firefighter Union president about that, that when there's vacant structures scattered across the city and there are fewer firefighters, it takes longer to get there. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, I, we're going to run out of time before uh, we get to, to too much more, but I, I really want to have you talk about possible solutions. I think that's a really important dimension of, of this discussion, that it's not just about saying this happened and we have this problem now on this massive scale because it happened. I think the question is, how do we move to a better space? What are some of the things we need to be doing? Right. Well, um, the Detroit Land Bank Authority is necessarily, um, from my understanding, uh, an agency that is separate from the city because of the way federal funds um, came through after the recession. Uh, it needed to be separate from the city. Um, now that those federal funds are running out, um, folks are looking at bringing a lot of those responsibilities back in-house. So that would mean with city council oversight. Um, really, I think part of it is going to be, I mean, Mary Sheffield, the council president pro tem, talked about wanting to have stricter um, and explicit guidelines for when the land bank needs to be transparent. And that's what we really focused on was was folks having a hard time getting answers, mm-hmm. right? Why can't I buy this side lot? Um, why haven't you torn this house down? You keep telling me that it's, you know, and it's just like this this runaround that Detroiters are getting. Um, and so they're perhaps uh, like a simple communication would, would suffice because, or it would be a good first step. Yeah, because people a lot say. of times just don't know what's going on. There's this house next door or across the street that's owned by the land bank. It should be torn down and you don't get a great explanation for why it isn't. Right. And no one is saying that 90,000 properties is a small task that should be easily managed. It's a lot. It is a lot. It is the largest land bank in the nation. Um, So I I, I don't think that there will be, there's certainly not a solution tomorrow. I don't think anyone reports on issues that uh, (laughs) that are going to have, that could have a solution tomorrow. There's no push button answer to this. Exactly. Uh, But I also want to quickly, we've got about a minute left, uh, talk a little about not continue to fuel the, 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 the problem. In other words, the the work that's being done on the front end to stop tax foreclosure from happening mm. in the first place. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of uh, that that really is the upstream discussion that needs to be being had mm-hmm. right now. 
um, the land bank could also not take these properties from auction and leave them in the county's hands. And maybe then the county would understand the problem that they are leaving the city with yeah. by continuing to foreclose, yeah. right? Um, that is an option. But the the Detroit Land Bank Authority has positioned themselves, and I confirmed this um, very recently, that they are going to continue taking every unsold property from the auction. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Caitlin Allo, Data Reporting and News Apps Director for Outlier Media. It's really great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Steve. And remember, that report, The Lost Homes of Detroit, will air on Reveal this afternoon at 2 right here on WDET. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. We're going to recap tonight's Democratic presidential debate and talk with a panel of four different generations about how they view the political climate leading up to November. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.